If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, here we go. Another episode of Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And the topic this week stems from a recent blog post of mine about Bonnie Franklin. Now, I talked about uh, how an agent screwed us over regarding an actor, Charles Hallahan, in a couple of episodes of Almost Perfect that Bonnie appeared in. I talked about that on my blog, and my point there was how accommodating Bonnie was when we had to scramble as a result of the... <clears throat> the screwing that we got from this agency. But a lot of my readers are saying, well, yeah, that's fine, but we want to hear about the Charles Hallahan story. That sounds much juicier. So I thought I would share that here. And while I was on the subject, I collected a few more incidents where my partner David Isaacs and I clashed with agents. So it's kind of an episode of Gossipy Dish. You know you love it. First off, uh, though, I do want to say that I have been very blessed to have some outstanding agents throughout the course of my career. And I figured, you know what, this is a good place to personally thank them. So my thanks to Deborah Greenfield, Bob Broder, Steve Rabineau, Mark Rosen, Rachel Viola, and Jamie K. Phillips. They were all fantastic agents. I owe them all a great debt. I've also had a lot of other agents along the way who were not so great, but hey, that comes with a 45-year career. We have been with the William Schuler Agency, major talent, writers and artists, William Morris, Broder Curlin Webb, ICM, Endeavor, CAA, and UTA. Now, you might be thinking, Jesus, these guys bounce around. They probably had 72 agents. No. We were with the Broder Agency twice. We were with ICM twice. And we were with Deborah Greenfield for eight years. And when she moved from one agency to the other, we just followed her. And that happened uh, with a couple of other agents of ours. So, uh, in that case, uh, it's the fact that we stayed with the agent is the reason why we were so many different agencies. We are with Bob Roeder for 20 years, and we'd still be with him, except uh, he is moving on to do something else. Also, the examples that I'm going to give are very isolated. 
okay? Most of my dealings with agents have been very productive, professional. They've been super helpful. I remain friends with a number of agents, even ones who never represented me. Okay, yeah, they took me out to lunch, free lunches. Yeah, but okay. But they're not agents anymore, so now I pay. Uh, Okay, so that is the disclaimer, and I'll get to the Hallahan story first, but a few other incidents uh, to precede it. Also, uh, I'm not going to name the name of actual agents or agencies. And I can hear you going, oh, come on. Well, look, in some cases, I'm dredging up very old stories. And who knows, they may have changed since then. And the point is to give you an inside look at the kind of thing that goes on, not to tattle on people. Okay, so first agent, we will call her Molly. And... When David and I were starting out, it's very hard to find agents. Anyone will tell you that. Uh, Fortunately, my partner was going out with a girl whose mother was an agent. How fortunate is that? She was in a small agency. And by small, I mean her, just her. But she did claim that she was friends with David Lloyd, who was one of the producers of the Mary Tyler Moore show. And the Mary Tyler Moore show was the show that we wanted to work on more than anything in the world. We wrote a spec Mary Tyler Moore show and she said, okay, great. I'll just get it to David Lloyd. Like fantastic. So she sends off the script months go by. We don't hear anything. So we call her up and we go, Molly, um, have you heard anything from David Lloyd? It's not like we had anything else going on at the time, although we were working on different spec scripts. And she said, okay, I will get into it. A week later, we get a letter back from David Lloyd. Actually, the letter was addressed to her. And the first sentence of the letter was, how dare you? And David Lloyd, who is a very acerbic individual, (laughs) just went on to tear her a new asshole for claiming that he was shirking his responsibilities. So he goes on for like three paragraphs of this. And then paragraph four, he gets to the script as kind of an afterthought and said, oh, and by the way, this script is a piece of shit. So, uh, yeah, that that was our first agent did us an awful lot of good we finally did get an assignment with the jeffersons no thanks to her no help from her nothing we went around her and got that and so once we got a jeffersons and once we were in the writers guild then we're kind of legitimate and then a lot of other agents would uh, entertain the thoughts of possibly representing us. And that's when we went with Deborah Greenfield at the William Schuler Agency, which was a very small agency. In fact, I, I think their biggest client uh, was an actor, Don DeFore, who was kind of a second banana in 1950s and 60s sitcoms. He was like the neighbor on Ozzie and Harriet. Okay, so I'm assuming that 95% of you have no idea who Don DeFore is or was so uh we were with this small agency but we went with deborah because she was very enthusiastic 
we had some larger agencies express interest, but we figure, you know what, we're just going to be lost in the shuffle because they're going to have so many bigger clients that they're going to have to attend to that they're really not going to take the time to deal with us, whereas uh, Deborah would. And Deborah did and proved to be a, a great agent. And uh, allow me to go off on a little tangent about these small agencies. Of course, you've all heard of the big ones of William Morris and CAA and UTA and that type of thing. And uh, there are still these like boutiques, these small agencies, and they generally do handle newer clients. It's kind of like the Broadway Danny Rose syndrome. And uh, there was one in particular, and I'm going to call him Jackie, Jackie Sheckleman. Okay, because he was a Jackie Sheckleman, small agency. And when I was running a show, when it was time to staff and agents would call, I would always take the calls. I wanted to establish relationships with these people. So Jackie Sheckleman is calling from the Jackie Sheckleman agency. Okay, I pick up the phone. I'm on hold for like five minutes. Finally, this guy gets on. He goes, oh, God. Ah, listen, Kenny. Uh, he never met me before. Listen, Kenny. I just got off the phone with Milton Burrow. Oh, my God. That guy doesn't shut the fuck up. I tell you, Milty. Milty, I got Ken on the line. I, I got to go. I got Ken Levine on the line here. So, anyway, Jackie, what can I help you with? I got a couple of kids. I got this writing team. These guys are going to just set this town on its ear. These kids are the greatest young writers I have ever, ever met. You got to read them. You're going to love these kids. I said, okay, Jackie, send over the script, which he did. And I read it and was not very impressed. So I figured as a courtesy, I would call Jackie back, which I did. And uh, his assistant says, oh, okay, hold on just a second. I'm on hold for another five minutes. He comes on. Hey, Kenny, Jesus Christ. I just got off the phone with Jack Carter. That guy just never shuts up. I'm telling him, Kenny's on the phone. Jack, you know Jack. Anyway, um, listen, um, uh, Jackie, uh, I read the script. Yeah. Am I right? Am I right? These kids are phenomenal. And I said, well, actually, um, I really didn't respond to it. He goes, you're right. Piece of shit. I don't even know why I said, listen, I got another kid. You got to read him. So uh, that, that, was, that was Jackie Sheckleman. You don't get those kind of guys calling you from CAA. <laughs> So now we move forward, and it's the mid-'80s, and David and I create a show for Mary Tyler Moore. And we write the pilot, and it gets greenlit, and so now we have to find a director. Obviously, our first choice is Jimmy Burroughs, but he was busy on this show called Cheers. So we're looking around at other pilot directors, and we didn't know a lot of other pilot directors because we were, you know, in a sense, kind of in a cocoon, having spent so much time with Jim Burroughs on Cheers. So it's not like we worked with seven or eight other directors. Well, we had heard good things about Richard Crenna, the former actor who became a a, a very well 
respected director. So we thought, okay, that would be a good choice because this was going to be a multi-camera show in front of a live audience. And he had directed any number of those type of shows. So we call the agent and uh, he is represented at a big agency. We'll just call this agent Frank. Okay. So we said to Frank that we were interested in Richard Crenna directing the Mary Tyler Moore pilot, which is kind of a prestigious assignment, wouldn't you say? So uh, Frank says, well, we have to make him an offer before he'd even meet. And we said, well, that's ridiculous. I mean, we want him to read the script first. We want to see whether he responds to the material. And if so, we want to meet him and see if we're all on the same page creatively, what ideas he has, just personality-wise, whether we jive with this guy. Uh, We're not going to hire a director who we've never met. And uh, Frank said, well, then you don't get Richard Crenna. Okay, uh, so we were looking around, who else? We thought, well, what about Danny DeVito? Because Danny's been directing some episodes, and we know Danny, certainly, from, you know, Cheers and Taxi, and he's married to Rhea Perlman, and we've worked with Rhea Perlman for a number of years, so we know Danny. And so it turns out, guess what? Danny's agent is Frank. You got to make him an offer. And I say, I, I can't make him an offer until I hear from him that he's enthusiastic about doing this script. Well, then you don't get Danny. At this point, I said, screw it. I had Rhea's home number. So I called Rhea Perlman. And I said, can I speak to your husband? And I get Danny on the phone and I say, hey, we're doing this Mary Tyler Moore pilot, looking for a director. Is this something you might be interested in? Can I send you the script? He said, absolutely. I sent him the script. He called me back the next morning. He said, I love this. I want to do it. I said, okay, great. Let's talk to the agent. So Frank calls me and he's like motherfucking me up and down. How dare I go around him? Blah, blah, blah. I say, you know, Frank... Sometimes a producer's just got to be a producer. And uh, so we got Danny DeVito. Okay, fine. So now we're casting. And a very difficult part to cast is the actor who is going to play opposite of Mary. And we had one candidate who we liked a lot, James Ferentino. But there was another actor who we also were very intrigued by. Guess who his agent was? Yep, it was Frank. Frank says you have to make him an offer before you can meet him. And I said, I'm not handing the co-star position of my show to an actor I've never met. I am not going to meet the co-star of my show the day of our first table read. And he said, well, then you don't get him. And I said, look, we don't have to have him read 
He doesn't even have to come into the office. We can meet for lunch. We can meet for a drink. We'll come by his house. We just want to sit with the guy for a half an hour and talk about the show and see that we're all on the same page. Nope, he won't do it. So we talked to Mary about this, and Mary says, well, I play tennis with him sometimes on the weekend. So we said, would you call him? And she said, yeah, and she calls him, and he goes, look, I I would love to do this part. Uh, It sounds really fun, and I read the script, and I, I really love it. Um, but, uh, I, I, I can't go in cause, uh, you know, I have to, you know, follow the lead of, of my agent. And again, she's saying, we're not asking you to read <laughs> just, you know, come by the house. We'll have a cup of coffee and the guys will happen to be there and you can chat for 15 minutes. Nope. Wouldn't do it. So we reached a point. We had to start production in two days. And we finally said, okay, done. We're going with James Ferentino. That's it. And this actor apparently was so upset that he didn't get this job because of Frank that he fired Frank. So that's, you know, pirate victory, I guess. And it's interesting. I used to see Frank in the gym and he would look at me like, I know you from somewhere, but I just can't place it. Uh huh. Now I'm going to move to Big Wave Dave's, another favorite of mine, and Adam Arkin. So we gave the script to Adam Arkin, and he read it and liked it and was interested, but then he decided that he wanted to direct more. This was in the early 90s, and he was doing Northern Exposure and directing one or two episodes, and he really enjoyed directing and uh, was thinking about going in that direction. And, of course, since, he has become a superb director. So his agent calls me and says that uh, Adam is passing. And I said, well, can I talk to him? No. See, agents don't like you going around them. So at the time, I was still doing play-by-play for the Mariners on a part-time basis. And one of our newscasters at her flagship station, Cairo, had told me in passing that he and Adam were friends and that they would get together whenever Adam came up to Seattle to film Northern Exposure. And... um, The agent did mention to me that Adam was up in Seattle uh, filming Northern Exposure at that particular time. So I called the Cairo newsroom and I got this newscaster's home number and I called him up and I said, I know this is kind of strange, but um, do you have any idea where Adam Arkin is staying? And he said, "Uh, yeah, I, I do know. He's staying right here. You want to talk to him? He handed me the phone. I talked to Adam for about 45 minutes and convinced him to do the show. And again, the next morning, the agent's calling me, obviously uh, a a little pissed. But it's like, how did you get his number? How did you talk to him? Uh, We producers have ways. Okay, now that brings me to the Charles Hallahan story. 
and this is like 1996, and we're on Almost Perfect, and he was hired to play Kevin Kilner's dad. Kevin Kilner was uh, the boyfriend character of Nancy Travis. And Bonnie Franklin was cast to be Kevin's mom. And like I said, it was a two-parter, and this was the schedule. We filmed part one, then we had a week's hiatus, and then we came back and we filmed part two the following week. So we filmed part one, and during the hiatus week, I get a call from Hallahan's agent who says, and this is kind of a, an upscale boutique agency, um, she says, um, uh, Charles isn't available for the part two segment of your show. He He got a pilot. And I said... Yeah, but see, he's in first position. You, you signed a contract. You, you can't pull him out to do a pilot. This is what she says to me. Sue us. Now, at this point, yes, we could sue. Paramount could sue. But that's going to take weeks or months or years Meanwhile, I don't have this guy next Monday. And she said, the only way you can still use him is if you bring him in for one day on Thursday of our hiatus week. So I had to gather the whole cast together. I had to gather a crew. You can imagine how much extra this cost Plus, we're shooting scenes out of order and not with an audience just to basically get his scenes. And he was in so many scenes in the first act, uh, the first part, that it wasn't worth it saying, all right, let's just replace him and redo his two or three scenes. No, he was in most of the show. So... We do it. It's it's one day I'm directing and and I won't talk to the guy other than to give him his blocking and to give him notes. Like I won't say a word to him. And he's like, listen, man, it's just, it's not me. It's a pilot. It's my agency. And I said, that's bullshit. OK, <laughs> they work for you. OK, if you had any ethics you would honor your contract. So I don't want to hear how sorry you are. That's how we left that. And we have had a, let's just say, a dislike to that agency ever since. And the following season, we're staffing. And again, agents are calling us. So I get an agent from this agency saying, I have a, a number of writer clients that I would like to submit. And I said, I'm not going to read any clients from your agency. And she goes, what? Why, that's discriminatory. And the first thing I said to her was, sue us. And then I explained to her why. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. You send over scripts and you put the writer's home phone numbers on the cover of the script. And I will call them personally and explain the situation. And if, after learning what you guys did, 
they're still willing to have us read the script, then fine, I will read the script. Well, needless to say, she didn't want any of her clients knowing about that story, so we didn't receive any clients. And, you know, that's the way it goes, because if you happen to be with an agency that pulls shitty things, you know, you got an airy gold uh, who's running your agency, it's going to affect other clients because you're going to piss people off all over town. And that's what happened in this case. And then one final episode with this very same agency. A few years later, we're doing a family pilot for Fox. And the cast had to be approved by a network. That's the way it always works. And what you do is you go in with like three choices for each part. But before you can bring an actor to the network, you have to make the deals beforehand contingent upon approval. That way, the actor can't hold you up for a million dollars because they know they're already approved. Okay, so you have, say, three parts that you're going to bring to the network, and you have to make nine deals contingent upon who gets approved. So we're going to go to the network. We had a 4 o'clock meeting at Fox, and at the time we had an office on the Fox lot, so it was just a matter of us walking over. And some of the actors kind of drifted over to our office at around 3.30 in the afternoon, including this one actress who was 16 years old and uh, was up for one of the parts as the teenage daughter. We get a call from Business Affairs saying the deal hasn't been made. We can't make the deal with her. So I said to her and her mother, uh, we can't take you to the network. And they go, why? And I said, because the deal hasn't closed. The deal has to close before we can bring you to the network. Well, the girl, understandably, is very upset And she is just crying her eyes out. And I felt bad for her, but what could we do? So I said to her mother, it's it's all agents and business affairs. I have nothing to do with this. I said, I will tell you this, though, that all of the other actors playing this part, and there was another kid's part, and... They all were in line, too. They all accepted this deal. This is the deal that is going to be made. And if you or your agent feels that your client is worth more than this, we understand that. But she's now out of the running for this sitcom. Again, the actress is crying. I just feel so terrible for her. Okay, so she calls the agent, and I get a call from the agent. We'll call her Lenore. It's now a quarter of... Lenore just motherfucking me up and down. You are intruding in the process and you're not involved in negotiations and everything. And again, I said, sue us. And I said, hey, I have nothing to do with this. I said, I told the actress that the deal isn't made and now it's up to you and her. I'm not negotiating anything and by the way, you can go fuck yourself and hang up the phone and at five minutes to four, we get a call from business affairs, deal is closed. 
Okay, so we are able to bring her to the network, and she actually wins the role. So we get back to the office at uh, 5 o'clock, and the phone rings, and it's Lenore again. And I pick up the phone, and, you know, you think maybe she'd be happy because the client got the job. No, it's just motherfucking me again and again and again. You know, a screaming match. It's the only time I've ever been involved in a screaming match, ever, in my entire professional career. So we we had the screaming match. I hang up the phone, and that's that. But we still had another part to cast. Next morning... I arrive, and my assistant says, Lenore is on line one. And I thought, oh, my God, again, again. I was like, how many times is she going to motherfuck me? So I get on the phone, and this was Lenore. Hi, Ken. How you doing this morning? Hey, listen, I, I know there's still that part open, and there's a, a wonderful actor who I'd love you to meet. If, if you would, I'd love you to read him. And, and I'm like holding the phone out. Look, and I, look Lenore, did, did yesterday never happen? <laughs> Do you not remember at all what happened yesterday and the names you were calling me? And she was like, you know, that's just business. That's just, yeah, well, okay. It, It wasn't business for us and we did not hire that particular actor. So those are, uh, a half an hour's worth of uh, of incidents dealing with agents. And like I said, these are isolated incidents, but I bet anyone who has been through the wars for any period of time probably has three or four stories just like this. I mean, look, it is a game of power and perception and leverage, and at times it can get cutthroat. You know, there's a lot of money on the line and... Look, there's a lot of pressure for the actors. Say, let's say that you are one of three actors going up for the part of Chandler on Friends. Now, if you get it, your life changes. And if you don't get it, then you're just back in the pool. It's like, man. That decision is an absolute life changer. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit of pressure when you go and have to read for the network. I, again, my heart goes out to all the actors who go up for these parts and don't get them. It's a very crazy business. It's a very subjective business. And it is filled with lots and lots of egos. So these incidents just seem to happen. But again, it's part of the industry. And as I like to say, what doesn't kill you kills them. And that's it for this week in uh, Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, Bruce and Jason Miller. If you want to get in touch with me for any reason, uh, not to MF me up and down, but uh, if you want to write something civil, uh, my email address is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I'm also on Twitter at Ken Levine, and I'm on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Thanks for listening. More next week. Stay safe. Please, please get vaccinated. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye.